1: If you're open, you're open for everyone.
2: Hi, and welcome back to Amicus. This is Slate's podcast about the courts and the Supreme Court and the law and the rule of law. I am Dahlia Lithwick. I cover such matters for Slate.com. And we are plunging into an incredibly important December sitting as the Supreme Court reviews three of the term's biggest blockbusters. In addition, on Thursday, the high court announced that it will hear arguments in the red state challenge to President Biden's student debt relief plan in February. This past week, the court heard oral argument in U.S. v. Texas. That's a challenge to the Biden administration's immigration and deportation priorities. More on that one for our plus members later on in the show with Mark Joseph Stern. Moore v. Harper will be heard next Wednesday. That's the case about the independent state legislature, quote unquote, doctrine and the ability of state Supreme Courts to weigh in on election practices set by their own state legislatures. We had a bone chilling but incredibly clarifying preview of that case with Judge Michael Ludig just a few weeks back. And I highly recommend that you seek out that conversation if you haven't heard it already in advance of the arguments. And on top of all this, on Monday morning, the court will hear the other blockbuster we haven't talked about much this term, 303 Creative LLC versus Alanis. It's a follow-on lawsuit to Masterpiece Cake Shop and a challenge from a web designer to Colorado's public accommodations laws. So we're going to dive into that case this week and what it could mean for civil rights. Later on, Slate Plus listeners will have a chance to step backstage with me and Slate's own Mark Joseph Stern as we discuss SCOTUS-related news that we couldn't get to in the main show this week. As I mentioned, we're going to analyze oral arguments in the big immigration case that was U.S. versus Texas. We'll also be dipping into the Senate's approval of landmark legislation protecting same-sex marriages. Slate Plus members get access to bonus segments like my chats with Mark and ad-free versions of all of Slate's podcasts, and they never, ever hit a paywall on Slate.com. What's more, and this is important, Slate Plus members support all the journalism we do here on the show and at the magazine, and we are so very grateful for that. If you would like to show your support and become a member, go to Slate.com amicusplus Amicus Plus for details. That's Slate.com amicusplus Amicus Plus. But first, we wanted to dig into 303 Creative. This is a case that may sound familiar to those of you who recall the lawsuit over a Colorado wedding cake baker who didn't want to bake cakes for same-sex couples. Citing his strongly held religious objections, he challenged that state's public accommodation statutes, which made it unlawful to deny services to LGBTQ customers. That case, Masterpiece Cake Shop, was decided as a sort of Punt back in 2018 when Justice Anthony Kennedy sat on the court, but with new justices now seated, a challenge that expressly raises First Amendment free speech questions, 303 Creative, is going to be heard by a very fundamentally different court. A web designer, Lori Smith, wants the court's permission to publicly announce that due to her religious convictions, her company, quote, will not be able to create websites for same sex marriages or any other marriage that is not between one man and one woman, end quote. Smith is willing to work with LGBTQ clients, but she sincerely believes same sex marriage conflicts with God's will. So she wants to offer wedding websites in the future that will celebrate opposite sex marriages, but she Wants to refuse to create similar websites for same sex marriages, and as part of her business expansion, she wants to be able to publish a statement explaining her religious objections. The case is, parenthetically, being heard just a week after the US Senate approved landmark legislation providing federal protections for same sex marriage and moving that measure closer to President Biden's desk in the final weeks of the Democratic controlled lame duck Congress. Joining us to discuss the implications of 303 Creative is Hila Karen. She is Associate Dean of Research and Paul E. Troisch Professor of Law at Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles, where she teaches contracts and business associations. Hila's Law Review article, Separating Church and Market, The Duty to Secure Market Citizenship for All, was recently published in UC Irvine Law Review, and it raises questions about the ways in which a kind of, quote, market evangelism, using market activities, entities, and tools to evangelize societies, is being weaponized to exclude LGBTQ parties from the marketplace. Hila recently warned in Slate.com that the challenge of 303 Creative is part of a sweeping national litigation strategy to, quote, secure an advanced judicial permission to engage in what is currently forbidden after the fact, refusals to transact with LGBTQ parties. Hila, welcome to the podcast. This issue is thorny and complicated, and so I'm so glad you are here to walk me through it. Thank you for inviting me. So, the very first thing I have to ask you is not a legal question or a constitutional question. It's just a media question, which is this case is as important, I think, if not more so than Masterpiece Cake Shop was. So, why is it that in the days before it's being heard at the Supreme Court, I've heard very, very little about it? And to the extent I've heard anything, it's been a kind of juggernaut of press holding up Lori Smith as kind of a hero of free speech and religion.
1: Well, your guess is as good as mine, but I think that psychologically cakes are really sexy, and that there was something very simple about the Masterpiece Cake Shop story that was compelling, immediate, intuitive. And a feature that I care a lot about and try to emphasize is that in the Masterpiece Cake Shop litigation, there were human beings involved. There were Dave, there were Charlie, their mom was with them, they wanted a cake. It was a full story. There there is something about 303 Creative that is deliberately abstract, and it is deliberate to actually hide the story that there is a Charlie and Dave that are going to be so hurt when someone is expressing their views. And I think that something about it backfires now, the elimination of true human beings, the somewhat virtual, pun intended, business of web design. And it's somewhat remote from all of us. So maybe that's part of why. However, I do believe it's as important, if not more important.
2: So I wonder if before we talk about this case, you can help set the table for listeners who probably remember the vague outlines of Obergefell and the sort of backlash to Obergefell, the dissents in Obergefell in some sense that predicted Masterpiece Cake Shop, and then just walk us through what the court did in Masterpiece Cake Shop, because whatever it was, it wasn't clean. So that we know what it is that we're operating from now, this week, going into 303 Creative. Yes, I
1: think that Masterpiece is a really great place to start because... the post Obergefell and after the recognition of same-sex marriage, the pushback was against really accepting it for real, in real life. So in principle, the marriage is recognized, but do all of us in society have to really accept this reality? So one of the most famous stories is a baker in Colorado that literally refused same-sex couple entering the shop and ordering a cake to celebrate, not their wedding, by the way, Their reception of their wedding, the opportunity was seized to actually push back and say, not everyone recognizes those marriages as real, as acceptable, and therefore we're going to actually reject the clients and not serve them for ideological and uh, religious objections. So, what the Supreme Court did in Masterpiece is actually not deciding the matter. So, this is why we are partially again here. What the Supreme Court court said that is very important is no, businesses cannot do that. That is very explicit, however, denied by the leaders of the fight on the part of the conservative right. So the, the court refused to acknowledge that people who run businesses but do hold religious views can actually discriminate people and really cited old cases from the 60s that this is something that cannot happen with direct reference to a very famous case from the 60s Piggy Park where a business owner refused to serve interracial couples and in black communities because of alleged religious beliefs and the court then said in the 60s it's frivolous and the court in masterpiece repeated it 21st century it's still frivolous and not okay so in order to kind of eat the cake and have it, the court in Masterpiece also said, however, you need to also respect religious views and got out of this mess by saying that the Colorado committee that was in charge of enforcement of anti-discrimination laws was not respectful enough towards the religious views of the baker and therefore gave a small victory to the side of the Baker without ever accepting that it's okay for businesses to discriminate. So the battle continued from that point. There is a dissent in Masterpiece that is very important in which Justice Thomas helped path the way for 303 Creative, suggesting as a lone uh, voice on the case that there may be a free speech issue here. So the whole case went down based on religious objections and the right for free exercise of religion, and that was rejected. But Justice Thomas said, well, maybe one day we can revisit it with a free speech argument, which talented lawyers at the Alliance Defending Freedom, the largest organization leading this battle, really took on to carry it over as a free speech Battle now saying that it's not just a matter of the exercise of religion of those business people, but also their own right to speak through their commercial activities.
2: The only other thing I'd like you to just lay out, and I think you started to, with reference to the 1960s and the public accommodations laws, can you just walk us through, as I understand it, not every state has a state public accommodations law, but in general, these are laws that, again, based on racial discrimination in providing service, these are laws that require businesses that are open to the public to serve everyone. And they cannot discriminate on the basis of many classifications, including sex, and that LGBT discrimination is included in that. That's sort of the nature of the Colorado law, the public accommodations laws is pretty standard in that way, right?
1: That's true. Across the country, the principle of the marketplace should be open to everyone is the guiding value here. Some litigations regarding free speech clearly say that there is a compelling interest in of the state to keep the market open that way. And that is the highest order of interest. And so in Colorado specifically, but in many, many more than half of the states, there is protection reserved explicitly to discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. In other states, the only category is sex, but that doesn't really matter because another decision of the Supreme Court, the Bostock decision, famously said every place that says sex, we should read it as inclusive of sexual orientation and gender identity. So by virtue of that, there is huge coverage of the public marketplace, everyone that chooses to run a business, to profit from businesses, to sell in high volume, as opposed to a selective manner, is subject to this social value of if you're open, you're open for everyone. No one orders anyone to do that, right? But the idea here is that once you chose that, and once you benefit from that, the market
0: has to be open for everyone.
2: We are pausing now to hear from some of our sponsors.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today that's shopify.com system this podcast is sponsored by cloud optimizer as a business owner or it manager are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why it's time for cloud optimizer as you migrate your business to the cloud what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy but cloud optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you
2: This is a pure speech case. This is not going to devolve into debates that we had around Masterpiece about whether, you know, cake baking or flower arranging is First Amendment protected speech. I think it's conceded in every single way that when you have a web designer who feels that they are having to speak against their core religious beliefs, this is a speech case, right?
1: Yes, and with a twig. This is a speech case. True. So an interesting feature of it is the Alliance Defending Freedom, representing the business owner here and in all other litigations of that sort, actually requested the court to hear from the beginning everything, including religious rights and exercise of religion and freedom of religion and religious liberty. However, the court only allowed to argue regarding free speech. We will see, at the hearing on Monday, December 5th, whether or not the debate will remain contained to free speech the way it's supposed to be, because there is a kind of slip over between the religious rights and the free speech on uh, that matter. But the intention of the court was to limit it, not to repeat Masterpiece, where it was about religious liberty, but rather to re-examine it from the perspective of free speech, as suggested by uh, Justice Thomas in Masterpiece. The part that I wanted to make a little bit more precise is whether the fact that it's limited to free speech analysis means that we're not going to hear or debate the ideas relating to expressiveness. The reason is that there is an expressive activity involved here in this case, in the same sense that design is expressive engagement. However, that does not mean that what the anti-discrimination law does is limiting the expression here, because what it does is it says that you have to actually serve everyone and sell to everyone the services that you are offering. And so there is a continuing argument, which I think is an important argument, that what the law does vis-a-vis the activity of 303 creative is that it tells them once you decide to do this expressive activity, which is to design a website that announces that a wedding will take place between so-and-so and and so-and-so, and here is the guest list, and here is the gifts that you can pick and choose. Once you engage in that, which is undisputable expressive, you have to offer it as a matter of conduct, as a matter of behavior to everyone. So the expressiveness of the activity activity should not really legally make a difference here because the activity is the same. So let's think about the other cases that are similar to that. These are all photographers. They snap photos. And of course, there is expressiveness in the photo. We look at the photo. We feel things. That's not the question, however, because there is something about the commercial decision to take photos of whoever you like or don't like, the Beautiful children and the annoying children, but to do this for everyone. And so a good argument, I don't know which justices are going to press on that argument, but Colorado does not intervene in any of that. It's really the decision of the uh, designer, Lori Smith, that runs the business, whether she wants to even design websites for weddings. It's totally her decision. What the law is saying is that once you have decided to profit from designing wedding websites, which essentially do the same and look the same regardless of content, then you have to offer this to all. And in fact, I think listeners will be interested in being reminded that this business did not offer wedding services. This is something they have suggested to do or to initiate in order to make a point. The point of I'm selective and I'm only seeing weddings between men and women as appropriate, while other weddings between same-sex couples are inadequate. So there is no real shutdown of the business activity here. There is a pure choice to try and enter the industry in order to make the point. So that's just a comment about whether free speech is necessarily defined by the expressiveness of the behavior.
2: And you made this point when you started, which is because Lori Smith hasn't yet done anything. This is entirely hypothetical. She says she wants to expand into marriage services. She is afraid to do so because of a fear of running afoul of the public accommodations law. And as you said, what that means is she hasn't done a thing yet. We're talking about no entity on the other side to give a face to the other side. And I think your point was, but I'd love for you to draw it out for one more beat. What that means is that the only actual human face in this case is that of Lori Smith, who hasn't yet done a thing. There is no story to be told about the folks who will be denied services.
1: Precisely. And that goes back maybe to your first question regarding why isn't it getting attraction, right? Or why is Laurie Smith portrayed as a hero? Because there is a strong narrative of victimhood that I don't think is a true story here. The repeating theme is that the state of Colorado is punitive and chasing her and compelling her, and no one have done any of that. Rather, it's really a very artificial case in that sense, because this is litigation that is being run on a pattern, initiated and brainchild of the lawyers of the Alliance Defending Freedom, and they have run similar cases around the entire country. And in one example, in Minnesota, there was a similar similar business that wanted to try and do weddings to make the point that same-sex weddings are inadequate. And once they won a temporary injunction and the case went back to the trial court, they lost interest in the case. They did not really want to do any wedding web design or production movies. They wanted to make a point and to use the market and to use the courts to make this point at the expense of invisible victims, because there are victims to all this hypothetical exercise that they are running. And let me talk with your permission for a minute about those uh, victims. What is now created with the permission of lower courts is websites and businesses, physical businesses that are now feeling freedom, new freedom, to put signs We do not serve same-sex couples, and some of them include transgender people in their signs. So there is a very cruel and public and hostile attack on not only individual people, but groups of people. And to me, that totally reminds me other times in dark history where businesses were not serving Black people, businesses in Europe and other places were not serving Jewish people. And the sign itself at the forefront of either the physical store or the website that you are browsing about to get married is such a big offense. And the offense is not economic offense or not only economic offense. It's this feeling that there is something inadequate and inferior about the human being, about who they are. This is a targeting of the identity of core identity of people. And since we all need to feel that we belong to society, and this creates huge act of humiliation towards the people who are attacked directly, but also all the members of their group, that this group, there's something wrong in their wedding. There is something wrong with who they are. And to go back to Lori Smith, This is exactly what she's fighting for. She and other plaintiffs like her, represented deliberately in the same way by the Alliance Defending Freedom, are not interested in what will be said. The expression in the free speech, what they are interested is to be able to not serve. And by that say... We are against you. We are against your marriage. This is not real marriage. You're not a real adequate person. Your behavior is sinful. And we want to mark it and mark it clearly and put a sign out there that says that.
2: When I was reading your thoughts on this notion of, you know, quote unquote, market humiliation, I was remembering Justice Ginsburg describing driving around, you know, with her family as a child and seeing signs on businesses where they would have sought to eat or to buy something that said, no dogs, no Jews, and how much that informed her own sense of injustice. And Hila, one of the things that I know you've thought and written about a lot is that we casually talk about, you know, embarrassment as the harm here, but it's in your view, so, so much more profound than that.
1: Yes. And it's proven to be far more intense, different kind of codes. So our emotions have codes. They're actually rational creatures, our emotions, and they guide us. So embarrassment is really has different um, reason to exist than humiliation. And so insisting that this is not frustration and embarrassment, but rather humiliation. And there are features in the study of humiliation outside of law that prove wrong the argument of the dignity, harm on the side of the business owners and really show the difference. For example, the hostility, the use of power and control against the humiliated, the attack on core identity. And I I just feel as if litigants and judges can do a better job than saying there is stigma and go away. This is really something that is being done intentionally to people um, and forcefully that is based on exclusion and rejection due to core identity and in front of an audience, which is a feature of humiliation. This is not embarrassment. Embarrassment is what happens when we forget to zip up our zipper when we go out of the uh, bathroom. That's not comparable, the depth of humiliation. So neuroscience's of research and fMRI of the brain show that the pain of humiliation is equivalent to the strongest physical pain and is lingering in a way that is not comparable to any other emotion. And the reason that human beings have that is that because humiliating someone really is threatening to their survival as part of society. So this is all research documented Studied and also does not only affect Charlie and Dave, but anyone because this is a targeting of core identity. The ripple effect is just so horrible, similar to your story about Justice Ginsburg. You don't need to be rejected from a store that says no dogs and no Jewish people. You only need to drive by as a Jewish person or to hear about it at some kind of a reason. And already you are humiliated. So there is such thing in the studies of humiliation that is called collective humiliation, every member of the group. And if you'll think about it, that's exactly what the ADF is trying to do, right? Their purpose is not to humiliate Charlie. They don't care about Charlie. What their purpose is to actually mark the whole group as inadequate. So it's a political struggle. It's not on the personal level. But something about saying someone was humiliated is so personal, so emotional, and our legal mind is trained to put it aside, maybe thankful to Posner or whoever promoted that kind of thinking, but we are on automatic pilot of saying, okay, on that's aside. That's not the question. The question is a legal question, rational question. But I think it's pretty much the question because anti-discrimination laws are based on that. So Bruce Ackerman, humiliation principle, right? So really all those things should come Together, again.
2: And I was also thinking, as I was reflecting on this performance of I am going to put up a notice that says that you have a lesser marriage, it seems to turn on its head this guiding principle that Justice Kennedy had in his LGBTQ analysis, which was that dignity and the dignitary harms to same-sex couples cannot be understated. It was really important to him that dignity for those marriages was a lodestar. And so to see this case kind of subvert that dignitary interest and to say, actually, there's a dignitary interest in pronouncing that certain kinds of people are lesser seems sort of anathema to what it was that his project was. I
1: totally agree. And we talked about Masterpiece. And so Masterpiece itself really is putting black and white in writing this idea that society treated, quote, gay persons and gay couples as social outcasts who were inferior in dignity and worth. And this is a masterpiece. So we just like two years ago, and have we lost that sense? So what I think is going on here, if I may add, is that against this Big effort to humiliate others for who they are. There are two arguments that the uh, conservative evangelical riot is raising. One argument is go elsewhere, right? You can all you can get your cake in another bakery. Why here? Which, as you know, Justice Ginsburg tells you it's not. If you, if the sign says uh, dogs and Jews are not welcome, it doesn't help that you can get your cake elsewhere. And it was never about the cake or the hamburgers or the movies or anything that people were not able to access, even if they could have accessed it in a different kind of a way. The other argument, though, really requires raising dignity card on the other side of the discriminating business owner. So this is geared towards offset. Setting the harm, right? So I want to humiliate the same-sex couple, but in order to minimize what's going on here, I'm going to say that this is demeaning to me that I need to serve them. And believe it or not, I was shocked when I read that, and it's hard to shock me because I read those decisions all the time, but I read decisions of lower courts talking sincerely and honestly about the demeaning effect of anti-discrimination laws while they were not saying a word about the humiliation of the same-sex couples or transgender clients and all those people. And this is a huge success of the trick of the legal strategy of the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom because they purposely took the cases without victims into court in a pre-enforcement, preemptive kind of litigation. So courts did not even see that there are other victims in the room. And what stayed was this noon narrative of victimhood on the side of Christianity that is under attack. And no one speaks louder to that than Justice Alito. And I am sure that in the hearing on on Monday, we're going to hear this story of this harm and attack on the views of reasonable people. So I think it's really important to remember how loud Lori Smith is. No one really is able to shut down this free speech on behalf of those views. The views are wide in the open. They're on YouTube. You can look at them. They are posted on the ADF's website. You can read about them in the Denver Post. They have been on Fox News. So it's not about the ability to speak your mind in public. That's protected and will be protected for racist people as well. It's The question is really different. The question is, must you do it when you are profiting in the marketplace, when you can otherwise do it as loud as you want, otherwise, in other ways?
2: Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. I need to give you a chance to explain again you've you've pulled at bits of this but I think your argument is this is a massive national Campaign. This is not piecemeal. This strategy is, I think you've described it as a, a two-pronged strategy targeting states and localities. And then, as you said, these kind of attacks on LGBT communities as the second prong. I wonder if you wouldn't just explain to us, because I think... This is of a piece with, you know, Coach Kennedy last year who wanted to pray. These are not accidental plaintiffs. And as you said, these similar cases are being brought as part of a really targeted strategy around the country. So I wonder if you would just flesh out what you see as that. P- picture we should be kind of panning back to see. And then, if you would, just flesh out why this one case will have sweeping, sweeping implications around the country. All right.
1: But how did we get there? Cases do not arrive at the Supreme Court from the sky. This is something that is being organized for years now. I would say ever since the loss in Masterpiece Cake Shop. So here are the eight states that the ADF chose to litigate this matter in the same fashion around the country. They picked Arizona, Kentucky, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, Colorado, Virginia, and New York. Now, if you're really carefully listening to the list that I read, it's purposely a mixture of red and blue. What do you know from that? You know that you're going to lose in some of those states, for sure. Colorado be one of them, because Colorado is so strong. And as we know from Masterpiece, insisting on its anti-discrimination laws. So they took cases to Colorado again after Masterpiece, to New York, which we all recognize, and to other places, but also to red states, trying to create deliberately disagreement between circuits and those cases some of them from kentucky rose to 6th circuit from minnesota to the 8th from colorado to the 10th and from new york most recently to the 2nd and so what we see here is disagreement between circuits and now we're talking about a way of getting to the supreme court why pursuing that in this kind of multiple state attack and multiple circuits attack, because the Supreme Court is now structured without Justice Kennedy. It's not uh, as loyal to its own precedents. And as a visitor to your previous podcast said, the Supreme Court might be described as being captured right? No longer only as a conservative court, but also as captured. So it was worthwhile to invest this army of lawyers running around the country and finding photographers and designers and graphic designers, people who are not just bakers, so it won't be translated into some goods, but rather dispute regarding whether it's expressive or not will be removed. And people will conflate, as we just did at the beginning of our conversation, free speech with expressiveness expressiveness and really will say, but you can't tell someone how to design. It's an effort to mislead. It's not telling people how to design. It's telling people if you are profiting from the market and you're open to the public and that was your decision and we never told you to do that, it comes with a condition that you will serve everyone. So now we are about to go again with the question to a Supreme Court in a process that is not accidental and is very crucial. So now let's move to the second question, why I believe strongly believe it's very, very crucial. Remember that we talked about the fact that it's going to be about free speech and not only religion, right? Free speech, for example, protects people even if they have very racist views. It's actually allowed to have racist views. And you can stand in the street with a sign that is really, truly, directly very racist. Now, let's take it to the business world. If this is protected under the free speech and what you do in your business profitable capacity while being incorporated and getting tax reliefs and limited liability that corporations get, if you can do that in your business, that means that you can actually be outright racist in your business. Behavior That once we move from religion to free speech, we are actually endangering whole new groups. This is not just LGBTQ people. This is everyone because views can relate to everything one may object and it can be really bad. And while it's protected under free speech, it can create an awful world to live in for all of us, really. And it also is so beyond marriage, right? So some of the arguments on the side of the business owners represented in 303 Creative is that, oh, I'm happy to serve LGBTQ people. It's just their wedding that I'm not happy about. But if you come to think about it, what about the kids that are going to be born out of this relationship? What about the gay family? Now we know in Florida, you can't even tell about your parents because you are not supposed to say gay. So let's say that the same photographer who is against the photographing of the wedding is now invited and hired to photo day in school and take pictures of the children or take a prom photos of a high school. Now they are going to not just object to the marriage, but to everything that comes from the marriage and suggest that this is a legitimate relationship. So it's beyond marriage, it's beyond LGBTQ. I want to say that it's beyond the market. And that should scare people because my work is really focused on the marketplace and what's going on in the marketplace. And it's a very important site in neoliberal times. Our society is a market society. However, the Alliance Defending Freedom is already out there writing official letters, citing 303 Creative, the same case that we're about to hear, in the context of education, Now they want to say, in the context of Title IX, that actually teachers should not be compelled to read books to kids, that parents should not be able to come to school, that kids that are being bullied for being transgender cannot be considered bullied if it wasn't physical bidding, if it remained at the verbal level. So... What I'm trying to say in many, many examples, this is a beginning and the creativity of the battle to evangelize our life is really immense and scary. And the key to the kingdom, and it's a very awful kingdom, is free speech because our nation holds such a broad rights of free speech, broader than anywhere else that I am aware of. And I think that for the most part, it's a good thing. I believe in that. However, once you start working with it in a hostile, humiliating way in arenas that are supposed to be free of that, the problem starts, the pain starts, and the principle of no harm should be allowed is being injured severely.
2: And, Gila, maybe that goes back to the claim you made uh, up top about how inextricable the free speech and the religious liberty and religious conscience claims are, because there is a way in which religious objections get a kind of most favored speech status, whereas I think that it's easy to differentiate, you know, hanging a sign out that says, you know, we won't serve blacks or we won't serve interracial couples looks as though that's, you know, frivolous speech, whereas once you say, oh, this originates from, you know, deeply held religious convictions, the court has much more solicitude for that.
1: That's true. They have the ear of the court. But if you want to see the lawyers of the Alliance Defending Freedom get nervous, it's when you compare what they're doing right now to racism. And they have, I don't think I heard any compelling, actually, explanation why it's different. Why the state has a compelling interest of protecting against racial and gender discrimination, but all of a sudden loses its power to protect gay people and transgender people and other people. And the dividing line is really just because some religious people care. And I think it's really important to be careful here, because I don't want to Add to any false narrative that there is a necessary conflict between religion and LGBTQ rights because many religions and many strands of Christianity embrace, support, accept, treat fairly LGBTQ people. So this is really a very narrow kind of Christianity that is leading this uh, campaign. Unfortunately, this is also the kind of Christianity that has the ear of the Supreme Court in its current uh, structure, and I am very afraid that once they open the door on behalf of this strong principle that has the ear of the court, there won't be a lot of way to stop it. And so on the line, for example, what about interfaith marriage that can involve religion, speech issues and objections and, you know, Interracial marriage, the list is endless and religions differ in what they approve and disapprove. So we are in a really broad (laughs) field here.
2: I want to flag a brief that was um, actually commended to me by Mark Stern, my colleague, that came from the Modern Military Association of America, answering that question you raised about, so just go to another baker, you know, just go to another web designer. Because one of the things that they say is that LGBTQ service members and their family members uh, really have a vested interest in enjoying equal access to goods and services because they're often stationed in places where, by the way, the military sends them, they don't have choice. And those are often, as they say, sparsely populated communities that only have one service provider. So it's easy to get kind of bogged down in this as, you know, dude, you're in Colorado, there's a 1000 web designers, there's a million bakers. But this actually really impacts differently depending on who you are and where you are in the country.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and to zoom out on that, the whole premise of The Green Book was that, right? So back in the days when people traveled with a special book to tell them to which hotel they can go, we will need some map to navigate that. So there is the rural area where there are one bakery or two and the larger city where you have to actually look actively which businesses are serving and which businesses are not serving and why are they not serving. And I want to say in, with a more serious tone regarding that, that this is itself so triggering, humiliating, disturbing stressful to navigate. So there are a lot of studies outside of law, and we, we are so much in the legal box, but I'm very much into interdisciplinary research of this phenomena. And the problem is the inability to anticipate who will serve you today. So this is very... Uh, known theme in shopping while black experience. Yes, there are many businesses that treat black shoppers decently, but there are also many that do not. And so the anxiety of will it be a good day or a bad day is something that people carry for years. And so to go back to the military brief, like today you're stationed luckily in a city with many bakeries, tomorrow you're not. So, so just... Having to live life like that. So to me, 303 creative brings to the fore the following issue. This is something that most shopping, getting services, getting married, is something that people can do as part of their normal life without worrying about it. But some people... Are on some kind of a blacklist of someone. And for that reason, they always have to hope for a good day, but to be at risk of a bad day. This is toxic just because this shopping experience that we have is so much part of our normal life. It's so mundane, it's so daily. Right. So something about this makes the susceptibility to harassment in such a situation very much of a big deal. So, there is a lesbian married couple that drove to another state to get services of uh, filing the, their taxes together because the accountant was offering it for free. They parked at the parking lot, and there is, you can search the, for the image on Google, there is a the big sign on the door of the business no same sex marriage. And, and it's like in bold letters. So, so, so you're driving with your partner to get a service for a discount and boom, a sign in your face. And I, I do want to emphasize the toll of that, of wondering all the time whether you'll be accepted or not. And it's, it's, it's very hard to live like that.
2: I'm so glad that you're lifting up, in this case, the sort of faceless parties who are harmed. And I wonder if maybe you just answered the first question I asked about how asymmetrical I think the coverage of this case has been. Because, you know, as I was rooting around researching this show and trying to figure out why it is that the sort of reverence for an unquestioning conviction that there's only one right party in this case, and that's the web designer, and how asymmetrical the coverage has been. And you have just described, I think, a sort of right-wing media landscape that maps perfectly onto a right-wing kind of legal landscape, right? I mean, this is, in fact, a set of, like, interlocking nested interests that really exist to time and promote and kind of evangelize one side of the story. And it does seem as though it's all of a piece with the coverage around Coach Kennedy last year and, you know, the deep understanding of how to do a media story about a legal campaign that feels like it's just lacking on the other side.
1: I agree. And I think an important component that you did not list in your compelling list is the hate towards or resentment of the state. So we're in kind of at the highest of the neoliberal age. And this narrative is the state is punishing Lori Smith. Now, Colorado did nothing to Lori Smith, who never even started a business. I mean, nothing is happening, but they are yelling, really yelling repeatedly that there is a state here that is punitive and censoring and compelling. And they say in open forum and debates that are accessible on YouTube that this is today, Laurie Smith, and tomorrow, each one of us, the state is going to chase us and tell us what to do and not what not to do. So I think there is... A very toxic combination here of neoliberal promotion of state as an enemy, as an objector, and as someone who is chasing you and needs to be minimized with another tenet of uh neoliberalism, which is the promotion of traditionalist views, hoping that the church will replace the state that is so hated. So some of this story resonates with groups that you would not necessarily see, because they can literally imagine the state coming and doing something to them. So I think if the media in the center and to the left of the center would have done a better job, it would have just kind of unpacked this story and emphasized no one is chasing anyone. She's inviting it because she wants to use the business world, the corporate world, and the money to spread a message that she can easily and does already can carry on Fox News. No one is telling her to shut up. What people are telling her, the marketplace needs to remain open.
2: Yeah, this comes in a long line of, of I'm thinking of cases from last year, where the majority of the Supreme Court loves to reduce the guys who are doing gun licensing in New York, the school board at Bremerton, you know, the CDC, who are trying to construct meaningful COVID rules. And they're all just pencil pushing useless bureaucrats who do everything badly and mostly want to hurt you. So it feels like this is really fertile ground at this Supreme Court to advance the argument that the state is coming to take away your freedom because they don't care. They're just soulless bureaucrats.
1: Exactly. And don't forget about the environment, the The EPA, EPA, right? (laughs) There's one more agency that cannot do it. So it's really a good combination of interests on the right with no fight back on the left. And I do think that also the fact that now Lori Smith is the human story here, that's the story The the real story is that there are people among us that cannot actually be safe in the marketplace, not in the physical sense, but do not know what's expecting them. And that, once legitimized, will get more and more uh, tracked. So I want to say, to put the point, if you go now to the websites of the other clients who were represented in Kentucky, for example, the website already has a sign, no same-sex couples, I mean, this is already happening, so it's not like a doomsday prediction that I'm making. With legitimization by our own courts, this is already at lower level allowed in some of the states, and so with blessings from some courts. And thankfully, there are other circuit courts that are pushing back against it and have written again and again, including the 10th circuit in this case, supervising Colorado, that said that passes the anti-discrimination laws that forbid people like Lori Smith from behaving like that, that passes even strict scrutiny. So the 10th Circuit, the Second Circuit, they're going by this theory, you know, that even if you will agree that strict scrutiny applies to what the state is trying to do by uh, enforcing anti-discrimination laws, this should pass with flying collars. Because what is a more compelling interest than guaranteeing to all of us the freedom to walk around the marketplace and get what we need without being harassed and while keeping our dignity?
2: Hila Karen is Associate Dean of Research and Paul E. Troisch, Professor of Law at Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles, where she teaches contracts and business associations. Her Law Review article, Separating Church and Market, The Duty to Secure Market Citizenship for All, was recently published in the UC Irvine Law Review. Hila, thank you for being with us to pick through just a really complicated and I think actually seminally important case this term. It was a real treat. To be with you today.
1: And thank you, Dahlia, for being an excellent Lady Justice. <laughs> thank you.
2: And that is a wrap for this episode of Amicus. Thank you so much for listening in, and thank you so much for your letters and your questions. You can always keep in touch at amicus at slate.com or you can find us at facebook.com slash amicus podcast. Today's show was produced by Sarah Burningham. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio and Ben Richmond is senior director of operations for podcasts at Slate. We'll be back with another episode of Amicus in two short weeks. And until then, take good care.